You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, Packers Total Access at gmail.com. You can text us 865-658-5824. Hope everyone has having a great morning. Um, we're going to kind of dive into some of this coaching talk. Obviously, we did a quick pod uh, yesterday, I guess late afternoon, you could say, and just talked about the four candidates that have emerged, uh, you know, as far as uh, potential DCs for the Green Bay Packers. And we'll talk about anything else that the chat wants to talk about. Maybe a little slower pace this morning, which is probably good. Um, I got some feedback that, man, it was a lot of information yesterday, but you talked really fast. So I apologize for that. We were just trying to get that info out to you guys as quick as we could. But uh, the the guys and, and, and possibly Carly might join here in a little bit. We'll see uh, what happens there. Now, let's go to the chat real quick. Um, let's see. Doug in the chat said the number of pods that try to guess and rate candidates. One of the pods knew Staley. Then before the other candidates were announced threw out seven other candidates who are not on the list. Yeah. yeah what you got to you got to kind of take into uh, account here, Doug, early in the process is, uh, you know, you you've got these teams that are still in the playoffs. Right. And and I don't know if LaFleur is interested in any of the potential, you know, D.C.'s uh, defensive coaches, if you will from those those playoff teams. But there's a good chance, right, especially seeing that three of the four teams, you know, have arguably the top three defenses in the league. So if you're wanting to interview coaches off of that staff, you got to wait until they're eliminated for the most part. Now, I, I think there are rules in place where coaches can grant permission to go interview, but it's it's almost like a uh, – I don't know how to word it. It's It's almost like a mutual respect, I guess you could say, that coaches, you don't ask for that, right? If you do, it really puts the head coach of that team in an awkward place because, you know, one, you don't want to interrupt the chemistry on your team, right? Uh, two, you don't want to you don't want to create a distraction, right? Where the defensive or offensive players are sitting up going, "Dang, is our coordinator leaving?" Hold up, they've they've been preaching to us all year long. It's about family. Put the team first. We're one big group that's connected here. And now all of a sudden they're leaving us. That can really kind of throw a wrench into things, especially uh, right before a, a playoff game. So uh, now are there teams that request in the past? I'm pretty sure they have. I, it seems like I remember people declining um, permission, right, refusing permission for coaches to interview. And there's been some that have interviewed uh, during the playoff run and their team gets eliminated and people start pointing to that like, hey, this isn't a good look. So maybe the rules have changed this year. I don't know. I don't. I, I haven't heard of uh, a single um, – 
interview that's taking process, I don't think. I mean, maybe Chris Hewitt might have interviewed, and obviously the team is still in contention. I know they were requesting interviews, but we'll kind of see how that shakes out. But, again, I think people, what they're doing is throwing candidates out there that they think are the favorites. Now, in the meantime, LaFleur is not just going to sit on his hands and and not interview anyone, right? So what he's going to do is go out and continue to interview people that are like up-and-coming stars, right? These, these you know, from these teams that have already been eliminated, go, all right, who's the top candidate on that team? Who's the top candidate on that team? Then narrow it down to maybe five or ten, bring them in for interviews. And, you know, if one of those coaches – knock their socks off with the interview, maybe you hire them, right? But you've got that information already tallied as you wait for the other teams to be eliminated. Once they're eliminated, bring in your final interviews and then try to move forward with who you want. Now, there's some interesting candidates, and I've got four videos keyed up here where we can kind of hear from all four of those candidates. Those candidates obviously being Brandon Staley, um, Adam Dirty, uh, the defensive line coach from the Cowboys, Bobby Babich, uh, linebacker coach from the Bills. He used to be the DB's coach, if I remember correctly. His dad was a, a longtime coach. And then Christian Parker, the young up-and-coming star that everyone's talking about in Denver, which is the DB's coach out there. So, um, like I said, we'll we'll play a couple videos from them just to give everybody a little bit of a uh, – I don't know, just a, a little bit of a glimpse into their personality a bit, right? And there will be some language on these videos. I want to go ahead and warn everybody, pre-warn them when we do play them, especially the Hard Knocks clip. Um, it's There's going to be an F-bomb in there. So if you got kids in a room, be prepared for that. But, again, I'll, I'll try to mention it again before we uh, actually show it. So uh, let's see. Uh, Doug in the chat said, um, Bobby is the Bills linebackers coach. Matt LaFleur is going young. I'm older than the Lambo dirt, but I'm here for it. It's a young man's game now. I think it's important to have young coaches, you know. Um, that's the thing, too. Like, everyone immediately went to Wink Martindale. And, and you guys know I'm a, I'm a big Wink Martindale fan. I think he's great. And people that I respect around the league talk about him like he's just one of the best coaches in the entire National Football League. But on the surface, I was looking at it like, is he going to come in and play that number two guy to Matt LaFleur? And, you know, with uh, – with Wink Martindale, he's he's kind of a brash guy. I know some people say, oh, no, it's just on the field. He's not like that off the I've seen plenty of clips of him. You know, he's just kind of one of those hard-nosed type guys, and he's uh, you can tell he's an alpha. And not that there's anything wrong with an alpha, but you get too many, uh, too many alphas in the same building, it turns into a pissing contest. And I, I don't think Matt wants to completely disrupt what they did last year because they created a lot of momentum coming down the stretch. And some would argue Joe Barry shouldn't have been fired, right? I'm of the opinion I think they probably should have moved forward and, and bring in a fresh face. But um, when you when you bring someone like that in, and, and keep in mind, too, someone like Wink, he's not going to come in and go, yeah, I'll be D.C. What coaches do we have here? He's going to want to bring his coaches in. You know, that's the problem in Atlanta. Everybody's making it sound as if Bill Belichick had no offers. He had offers. He, you know, he had options. The problem is someone like Arthur Blank in Atlanta brings Bill Belichick in to interview. And this is the reason I mention this because it kind of goes hand in hand with what we're saying with Wink wanting to bring in his home staff. Um, Bill Belichick comes down to interviews. He says, I want to be GM and I'm going to bring in my entire coaching staff. And Arthur Blank and those guys down there and their front office are looking around going, you know, we weren't that far off this year. We like our coaches. We'd just like you to be head coach and add a couple pieces in place, too. I think that's why they moved forward uh, with taking who was, I think it was Raheem Morris, if I remember correctly, uh, the D.C. out there uh, for L.A. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of that that goes into factor, too. Right. So uh, definitely something to consider there. But, yeah, as far as going young, that definitely seems to be the uh, 
the common thread nowadays for sure. Um, let's see what United Bates has to say. Good to see you in here, buddy. He says, uh, out of the four teams left, would any of their DCs even want to leave their team if not for a head coach position? See, that's another that's that's another uh, great point, United Bates. Even the position coaches now they'll they'll p- typically take you know the pay raise, the title change, the promotion, if you will, right? But again, what Bates says was, out of the four teams left, would any of their DCs even want to leave their team if not for a head coach position? We're not talking about the DCs on those teams, Bates. Um, although, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. The, the problem is they, the current team can block a lateral move. So most of the time those coaches don't even bother interviewing for a DC job if they're already DC. What we're talking about are the assistants on those coaching staffs. So uh, people like Chris Hewitt that we talked about, the passing game coordinator for Baltimore, he's one of my favorite candidates. Um, he, he can he can interview, and obviously – that would be that wouldn't be a lateral move going from passing game coordinator to DC because McDonald is the DC there. Now keep in mind, if that's the other thing too, as the season winds down, if Mike McDonald doesn't get a bunch of offers anywhere else, and he's going to stay put in Baltimore, this is a prime example. If he stays put in Baltimore, then okay, those guys are going to look to get a promotion. But if Mike McDonald, Mike McDonald, I think I'm saying his name correctly. If he gets a head coaching offer somewhere, right, and he goes, I think he has interviewed already too, which that answers the question. There's no rules in place that you can't interview. So it's, I think it's got to be kind of permitted by the team and probably works in conjunction with each other. But if he takes a head coaching job somewhere, right, now that D.C. spot becomes vacant for uh, Baltimore, right? So now Baltimore, they're not just going to go, this is the guy that's most qualified to be D.C. They'll probably approach it from the standpoint of which guys are getting interviewed. Right. Like if let's say Chris Hewitt's the only one who got interviewed. okay, there's a chance you lose him to be D.C. somewhere else. Why don't we promote him to our D.C.? And that'll block that move. Keep him in house and keep your most valuable asset. That's why you see a little smoke screening going on, too, especially as the playoffs wrap up. You'll see they'll want to interview multiple people in the building. That makes Baltimore that puts kind of puts them against the wall going, okay, we need to go ahead and make our decision on our DC. That way we got the guy that we think is most qualified to be our DC rather than trying to block one move or two moves. Right. So I love this time of year. I love this time of top of conversation. I think it's absolutely awesome because this is the cat and mouse game within just the coaching hires of the NFL. We talk about the X's and O's. You guys know I'm an X's and O's nut. Uh, we talk about the draft, love covering the draft too, diving into the prospects, diving into all right, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the roster, diving into free agency, who's available, what's the market look like, is the market hot or cold for the positions in need for the Packers. And then you get into this coaching change stuff too, man. It's just it, – it truly is. It's a it's a sport that, that goes year-round. And, you know, I don't want to use the word casuals, but the average fan – you know, they're just interested in watching the game on Sunday, not really watching the game, but, uh, you know, tuning into the game, I guess you could say, and complaining about one or two plays without understanding exactly what happened. And then they don't even know all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And that's OK. Everyone can kind of, you know, enjoy the game that we all love at whatever level they want to love. it. So uh, but it's just fascinating. I love every level to it. I think it's absolutely awesome. Um, Peter Stone said, I still like Jacob's choice in uh, in uh, Bobby Babich. Um I, I like him too, man, especially after hearing him talk. Again, we're going to hear from him here in just a second. I just want to kind of hang out with you guys in the chat for just a second here. Um, let's see here. Doug says, hi, Bates. I got to believe you're looking at position coaches or passing game coordinators from those teams. <clears throat> those DCs are headed to be head coaches if they go anywhere. Uh, just my two cents. Yeah, I think that's pretty well um, explained there, Doug. 
I agree with that. Uh, United Bates says, I guess maybe positional coaches looking to move up maybe. Yes, correct. That's right. Absolutely, man. You got it. Um, yeah, what's up, uh, NFL Pack? Boy, good to see you in here, buddy. Uh, let's see. Doug says, Clayton, do you know how much contact a DC has directly with the players? I would think the DC would communicate at the position coaches who relay to their players. Um, you know, obviously, I don't, you can look at me and tell I don't have any personal experience in the National Football League. I can only go off of people that I've talked to. And we've got to talk to a lot of former players. And I have a good friend who, like I said, played for the played for the Patriots. He played for the Chiefs. And um, when I asked him the question, I love asking former players. I asked it to Mike Wall. I said, what's – I asked Mike Wall, I said, what's the one thing that you think, uh, you know, fans don't understand about the game that just kind of goes right over the head that you think is kind of a big deal? And he answered it and said – his answer was kind of from in the technique of the game, right? He said – you know, how you arrive at con uh, confrontation determines how you handle confrontation. You hear us say that on Chalk Talk. We got that from Mike Wall, meaning if you can't play under control, it doesn't really matter what your physical ability is. You could, you could be you can have the, the most bench press reps of at 225 of anyone in the league. Right. But if you arrive at confrontation, you arrive at the block or you arrive at the point of attack or the mesh point on a read option or or the uh, the mesh point, if you will, the contact zone of playing bump and run or how you flip your hips. If you're not playing under control, <clears throat> that's, you know, that's probably the most important thing. I think body control is something that no one mentions when you're breaking down prospects. And it's just absolutely huge. It doesn't matter what position it is. It, it could be long snapper, <laughs> you know, body control is just absolutely huge. So when you talk about playing directly or uh, the DC has uh, direct contact with the players or direct communication with the players, the reason I bring that up is because that my friend that I asked, you know, who played for the Patriots and the Chiefs, I said, what's the one thing that, you know, that, that fans don't really understand about the game that, that you, you know, it's kind of a big deal. And he said, they, they've got this assumption that we're all always together at all times. You know, we're always in the same meeting room. We're always just, you know, on the practice field. We're always together. You know, they got this vision of how high school football is coached, right? And he said, that's not the case. He said, it was very rare that we were together as a team. And this was him specifically talking about his time in New England. He said, yeah, you have your team meeting, but then you break apart and you go to your position group rooms. And you wouldn't even be talking to the head coach. You wouldn't see Bill Belichick when he played, you know, when he played for Bill. He's like, you'd see him around the building and stuff. And obviously for team drills and things, but for the most part, you're working with your position coach. So I think that kind of answers your question, Doug. And again, I didn't want to make it sound like, hey, I knew this. This is just a, a friend of mine who played in the NFL that that told me that. Um, so I think that's a big misconception too. And I and I'd say that because you're probably hinting at it too, Doug. All the blame got put on Joe Barry. As if like Joe Barry, Joe, well, it's Joe Barry's job to do that. It's Joe Barry's job to fix that. And and it's like that's not the defensive coordinator coordinates the defense. I know it's a crazy thought, right? <laughs> um, he is there to create the game plan, right? In some cases, he's got the freedom to hire his own staff. Joe Barry didn't hire his own staff, right? That was something put together by Matt LaFleur, and it'll probably continue to go that way, and that's why you're seeing some of these younger coaches get interviewed like a Bobby Babbage, right, and a Christian Parker and a, and a Adam Dirty from Dallas. You know, when it comes to Brandon Staley, I've heard behind the scenes that Matt LaFleur and Brandon Staley actually don't get along. So it's kind of odd you would bring someone in you don't get along with. But it could be one of two things, and I don't want to create a 
I don't know, a false narrative here, but it could be Mac going, all right, look, hey, let's just bring him in. Look, I'm willing to lower my ego. Are you willing to lower yours? Would you like to be DC here? How would you approach it? That type of thing. It could also be Matt bringing a guy in kind of just to flex a little bit. I don't think that's the case. Matt doesn't seem like the type of guy. But if you have words with him in the past, you just lost your job. I'm the second. I have the second highest winning percentage amongst act amongst active NFL coaches right now. Come on in here and, and let me see if I might give you a shot at being my DC. <laughs> that crossed my mind. That's probably way too petty to be true. But I did kind of think about that. Like, hmm. it's almost like Matt's getting the last laugh there by bringing him in. Um, I'm not a big fan of Brandon Staley. I know he. Here's the thing. You ask people, what do you like about Brandon Staley? He was a great defensive coordinator. Awesome. How long did he do it? One year. Okay. Well, did he do it with less talent? He did it with Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, players like that on defense, right? So it's like, okay. So he had superstars on his defense. He did it for one year, and his defenses have been a mess since. And then when you kind of look at how the year affected him last year, he didn't handle it very well. He was chippy with the media most of the year. He kind of comes across like he's one of these guys that like, hey, look, I'm the smartest guy in the room. Y'all need to shut up and accept the fact that I'm the smartest guy in the room. Um, and I'm not saying he should cower down to the media. If you guys listen to this podcast, you know exactly how I feel about this stuff, right? Um, you know, I, especially with the media. Like, I, I – some people think that coaches and players should just cower down to the media. I think that's silly, right? I think that's really silly. Um, I think that there should be respect both ways. You know, I don't think the coaches should be rude to the media, but I don't think the media should have this, uh, uh, I don't know, this this sense of entitlement when they go into a press conference. Like, I don't care what I ask you, you need to answer the question. Like, I don't feel like anybody on the face of the earth should be held to those standards, me personally. So, um, yeah, so – it's a it's a fascinating conversation for sure, though. Let's see uh, what else we got here. Nick McSwain said, regardless who the Packers choose, we can be sure of one thing. Twitter is going to hate the pick. <laughs> there's no doubt about it, man. No doubt about that. Uh, there's already uh, our, our boy Relax that's in here a lot. Uh, we follow him on Twitter. Um, he, uh, he put a tweet out the other day, and it was the Simpsons clip of everybody walking with the torches and the pitchforks and everything. And it said uh, Packers Twitter ready to fire the new DC before he's hired. <laughs> so I, it might have specifically been geared around Brandon Staley too. But um, that's and that's been the mo, right? That's what Kay Adams was talking about. Like guys, this has been going on for golly, almost what seems like. I mean, ever since uh, Fritz Shermer, right? Am I thinking right? It's been one D.C. after another, and no one likes the D.C. They hated Dom Capers when he was hired. I'm just being real. I remember. This was before Twitter. I remember being on the old message board. You guys probably remember that. Uh, Green Bay Press Gazette had PackersNews.com, and they had a forum that you could talk in. And that was kind of like, to me, it was the equivalent to Twitter today, You know, just a way that you could get on and, and have a conversation with the other fans um, well before Twitter. And I'm telling you, the day that they hired Dom Capers, they hated him. And I was in there defending it. I was in there going, guys, this is Blitzburg. They're bringing Blitzburg to Green Bay. This is exciting. And uh, obviously, in 2010, in 2011, you get over the hump, you win a championship, the the heat kind of calmed down a bit. And then the second the defense starts to struggle again, it's fired on capers. And then it's 
you know, like you said, you bring in the next guy, you bring in Mike Pett, and then it's fire Mike Pett. That's what cracks me up about Jim Leonard is like, y'all were screaming, not y'all, I shouldn't say it like that, but fans were screaming fire Mike Pett, and Jim Leonard runs Mike Pettin's defense. And I know people don't like the conservative approach that we play with now, the quote-unquote conservative approach, although we read off the stats, you know, like I said, one of the guys we're bringing in, uh, played the same amount of man coverage as Joe Barry did as far as their defense, not him play calling. And maybe that will change. That was Bobby Babbage. They ran 23% man last year too. But, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's just wild how fans will – they'll turn quick, man. They'll turn real quick. Um, let's see here. Drew D said, if we hired a minority D.C. like Christian Parker and then another team signed him as head coach a few years later, what would our compensation be? Uh, two third-round compensatory picks? That's a great question, Drew. I don't know the answer to that. I know the a good way to find that out, Drew, would be to Google search San Francisco. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Uh, minority compensation, maybe, or minority compensatory picks, um, because they're the ones that seem like they're the poster child for cashing in on that new rule. And what he's referring to is if uh, if you hire, I think if you, if you lose a, minor, a minority candidate to another team, then you get a compensatory pick, and they're trying to they're trying to create compensation, uh, a little more reward for teams to give minority coaches more of a chance, right? And and that's a whole topic I don't want to get into because all it all, it never leads to good things, you know, because it's either someone is dug in on this side that it's a real problem in the NFL, and on the other side they pretend like it's never been a problem in the history of the world. I'm in the middle. I just like to sit back a second and go, all right, let's use some common sense and go, is it really applying in this situation? Um, so I'd just rather not even talk about it. I, you listen to this pod, you know, I try not to see color. I don't, I don't and I know that pisses people off when you say, you need to see color. Okay. I got you. Like I, some of my closest friends are not the same skin color as me. And I'm telling you, I've met more people in this world who are white that I dislike than any other race on the face of the planet. I just, I don't. I, I'm still mind boggled that it's 2024 and it's still an issue. That it's it's still an issue that people think racism is so rampant, and it's still an issue when I see someone who makes a racist comment. I'm like, how? I was raised in Redneckville, 
Harlan County, Kentucky, USA. And I never experienced anything where it was like, you're better than them because of the color of your skin. I just never experienced it. And maybe I was in a bubble. I don't know. We were in a small coal mine in town. And um, I mean, I, I, I tell a story. I expect to get on this, but here we are. <laughs> um, I tell the story all the time. There was a guy back home. Uh, he ran a place called Mike's Rib Barn, and he's got a lot of family that still lives there. Um, uh, and it was a little kind of a little hut he set up in town where he would make barbecue. And, and Mike was black. And uh, I remember we had like a little festival and stuff around town. And, and when I was young, we were we grew up pretty. It was pretty rough. You know, um, I was when I was born, we lived in the housing projects. Um, we moved to a trailer. We moved like five times within a year and a half because, you you know, you parents were just doing everything they could. I'll just put it that way. Later on, we kind of got everything stabilized. But I remember going to Mike's Ribhorn and uh, had a couple bucks. I was going to buy something to eat. I didn't have enough money to purchase a barbecue sandwich or whatever it was. And I'll never forget him. Man. I mean, I was young. I was real young. I remember him going, oh, you keep that money. You keep that money, boy. And it was like that was my experience with people of different color. So everyone's opinion is based off their past experiences. Right. So, um, another one was, uh, yeah, we had, a, a a little old lady that used to babysit me, um, miss Ruby and, uh, mom would go to work and she dropped me off at her house and she lived on back street right behind the bar that my dad spent a lot of time. At, so I was in and out of there, but she was like family, you know, this, this little old, uh, this little old black lady that was just like, you know, that's, She's just an extension of our family. So I just don't, I don't connect with that stuff. I don't, sorry. I spent that so much, so much time on that, but that's, that's what came to mind. Uh, Nick McSwain said, I feel like the draft velocity is what uh, is making the defense underperform. If every time you bring in a new DC, you get the same results. Maybe it's not the DC. Nick, you know how I feel about that, man. I think there is something to that. I really do. Um, when you, when you continue to do the same exact thing over and over and over, and the defense continues to falter every single time. And it's, well, now the big thing you're hearing is Matt LaFleur doesn't know how to hire coaches, right? Well, they said the same thing about Mike McCarthy, you know. Other than that one year, well, he doesn't know how to hire a defensive coach, okay? Like, well, you know, the same thing was kind of said about Mike Sherman. You guys remember they wanted to run – what was his name? Was it Bob Sanders? They wanted to run him out, you know. Um, and what Nick's saying is what's the one common theme? how we draft, right? Because yeah, I think we would all agree we're a draft and develop team. At least that's what's been stamped on the Packers. Um, so if we're a draft and develop team and these defensive coordinators continue to struggle and continue, we just got this turnstile of defensive coordinators. You know, there's some teams that they don't have that. They've got a great DC and then that DC gets hired someone somewhere else. And another guy steps up, think of Baltimore, all the great DCs that's come out of Baltimore, right? It's just that organization. It's like, they know what, what to what to do at DC. Well, they also draft different from the Packers, right? And I think it has a lot to do with putting too much emphasis on the high athletic score. That's me personally. Um, you kind of seen it with Brian Branch last year. You know, I was kind of mentioning with Kyle Hamilton. I got roasted over Kyle Hamilton now, Clayton. He wouldn't fit the metrics. Um and and then they'll come back and say, you know, well you didn't he he wasn't even available when you picked. That's not the point. If you if you see someone you recognize someone as a generational talent. That's what I seen Kyle Hamilton as has nothing to do with the fact that I root for the Notre Dame fight and Irish either. He was number two on my draft board. And there were people going, do you see how he ran his 40? He ran his 40 sideways. He doesn't look athletic. He looks – okay. Absolutely lighting it up in Baltimore, right? 
they're willing to overlook that stuff and go, hey, that's the guy. Another one is Christian Gonzalez. Christian Gonzalez was playing really good for uh, New England before he got hurt, right? Some people didn't like his metrics. That's why he kind of dropped a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think there's something to that, Nick. I really do, man. I think there's something to that. Um, Rich in the chat said, no way. Rich, never seen you in here before, buddy, but sorry you disagree on something. Thanks for swinging through. Um, Mike Hebring, a.k.a. Packers superfan. Uh, Brandon Staley is Joe Barry without the experience. Um, <laughs> trying, I'm trying not to laugh, Mike, but that feels like a pretty fair assessment, buddy. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know what I can add to that <laughs> other than I think I, I think I agree with you, Mike. I don't understand everyone clamoring over. I really don't, man. I don't. Um, let's see. Uh, Nick McSwain, but Clayton, the Packers have 20 first-round picks on defense. <laughs> You're with that, right? That's the other thing, too. Like, what what got turned around? What got? Let me mark that one real quick. What got turned around uh, when uh, Green Bay got over the hump with their defense with Dom Capers? Yeah, think back. What got them over the hump? What really solidified that defense? Who was the best player on that Packers defense in 2010-2011? Some would say Clay Matthews, right? That was a draft pick, right? I think most people would say Charles Woodson, defensive player of the year there a couple years before, whenever it was. That was a free agent signing, right? Um, You know, you hear – you hear Aaron Rodgers talk a lot about Howard Green. Remember the big defensive lineman that there? He's like, man, that was a huge pickup in season, right? That was a free agent signing. So there were some free agent signings mixed in there too, you know, um, undrafted free agents, right? Those un- people have pointed that out. Like Sam Shields overperformed, right? He was an undrafted free agent, if I remember correctly. I think Tremont Williams was an undrafted free agent. Man, Green Bay's great at getting these undrafted free agents. If they thought they were so good, why didn't they draft them? probably because of athletic rating, right? So I just think we put a little too much stock in that stuff. You watch the tape and see they compete at the highest level in college, and then they go out and run a 40 time in their underwear, and it doesn't meet the metric within two-tenths of a second. And it's like all of a sudden everything that was on tape, throw it to the side. I'm not suggesting that's what Goody and his staff does. But this goes all the way back. Some people would argue that, well, Clayton, this is a different, this is a different front office. No, it's not. This is – the front office started with Ron Wolf, right? And then it for a year briefly passed down to Mike Sherman. And then, of course, Mike Sherman got fired uh, by Ted after they brought Ted in. Ted Thompson worked under Ron Wolf. Same exact thought process, same exact mentality, right? Ted Thompson, you know, his illness or his, uh, his health goes downhill. You let Goody ease into that row. Goody's mentor was Ted Thompson. So all those guys are scouts at heart and they believe in building through the draft, and they've got their metrics. We actually heard Ted talk about it on the the video we showed uh, them talking about drafting Aaron Rodgers, right? So same exact thing there. Uh, so uh, um, they, they're they cut from the same exact cloth. Now, some would say that Goody is more aggressive in free agency than Ted Thompson. That's not true. Like, I just told you, Ted Thompson signed Charles Woodson, right? Like, he was willing to dip in free agency too. Remember when he signed Julius uh, – uh, is it Julian Peters, right? Julius Peters, um, the guy who's uh, – I can't remember if he got voted in the Hall of Fame this year or not. You know, the edge defender, huge, just a monster of a man, physical specimen, played in Carolina forever and came to Green Bay. He signed him in free agency, right? Ted Thompson made free agent signings too and some big ones. It wasn't like he just just nickeled and dimed it. Like he, he made some pretty big signings throughout his time. Um, 
Goody comes in and just right off the bat signs two edge defenders. And uh, everybody's like, oh, this is going to be different. And now we're back to not signing, you know, high price free agents. And, and you know, it's it, it all comes down to where's the team at at that specific moment. And I think this year could be primed to sign some free agents, right? Um, if you like the market. I'm not crazy about the market, to be honest with you. When we broke it down, um, I was kind of interested in Bobby Wagner at $4 million. Solidify your your linebacker room. We all know it struggled. The past defense went down significantly as far as EPA or I'm sorry, total points uh, per game according to the 33rd team. Um, we mentioned Geno Stone. They got him listed at six and a half million. That's a little rich at safety, but his passer rating when targeted 37.9, pretty solid there. He's in Baltimore this year. Uh, 2.7 million for Alohi Gilman uh, in the LA Chargers. Think about that too. If Brandon Staley is hired, and I'm not anti Brandon Staley, please don't take this the wrong way. I just simply look at the history. I don't understand the excitement for him, right? Um, he may come in here and pick up right where he left off with the LA Rams. And if that's the case, Green Bay Packers are Super Bowl contenders. There's no doubt about it. But Alohi Gilman was one of his safeties who just performed out of his mind this year. You know, low PFF grades uh, the pre the two previous years, but last year really kind of peaked. Um, his passer rating when targeted was 60.3. So you bring in a couple safeties like that to the tune of a total of $9 million for both of them, right, combined. Um, that's only, you know, what, a little over a million more than you paid for Savage this past year. So that could kind of solidify. Um, they got Darnell Savage sitting at $5 million as market value. I don't like it. His passer rating when targeted, 109.4. We know his PFF grade started to climb a bit um, there toward the end of the year. I think he finished at 70, uh, 75 point something. Um, the other one we talked about was center Connor Williams. Once we learned of the ACL, kind of talked herself out of that. I don't think I'm interested in that at all, um, although he could be back around November or so. Um and healthy, and he was one of the better centers in the league. But I would rather take multiple swings in the draft. And I know people were were cracking up that we took three centers in the draft, right? That that draft platform we were using on other places were would refer to some of those guys as interior offensive linemen. So it shows we took three centers, but it doesn't mean they would necessarily play center. Um, and I'm not suggesting you should take that many swings. It's just we were looking at best player available using different databases to see how to see how strong or weak certain positions are in, in this year's draft. But, uh, yeah, I'm out on him. And then we talked about Greg Von Roten, um, which had spent a year or two with Green Bay before. He graded out pretty well, uh, sitting at $2.7 million. So uh, I kind of like attacking the draft on the offensive side of the ball and maybe kind of uh, dipping into the safety free agent market. But we talk about a Lohi Gilman. That was Brandon Staley's safety. So if they do sign Brandon Staley, don't be surprised if they go after – Alohi Gilman, right? That might be. I, I don't want to call it a package deal, but that might be something that that kind of comes into play there. Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, Doug says, "Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, Nick." There were plenty of fire Staley tweets. Um, let's just let's get into to Brandon Staley for just a second, okay? Because um, you you know some people some people like him, some people don't like him. I'd like to give him a fair shot. You know what I mean? If they do hire him, just like I did with Joe Barry, I'm not going to be the guy screaming to fire him right off the bat. But I do understand what Mike's or yeah, what Mike was saying about it. It kind of feels like um, a less experienced uh, Joe Barry. It, it does kind of feel like that. They would run the same scheme. They play a lot of shell. You know, we talked about his numbers: 27% uh, man coverage last year. It's 4% more man than we ran, and uh, they do run a 34 Vic Fangio style 
uh, defense. But uh, let's see. Uh, Nick McSwain said, my opinion changed with Staley when he snapped at a reporter for asking a question and stormed out. That's what I was referring to, Nick. It just kind of feels like I don't want to – I don't want to label someone as as being mentally weak, but that's just not a good look. It's not a good look. It's one thing if you're doing something to fire your team up, but it came across to me like it was like kind of crybaby-ish, you know. Um, but I've actually got the clip here. Let's play it. This was from a presser earlier in the year. This is Brandon Staley at a press conference. You hear the exchange with the with the media, and it does kind of just – I don't know. I, it just doesn't sit well with me. And you guys know I never defend the media in these press conferences. I, I don't like how they try to angle – and team up on the coach and try to back them into a corner to try to get them to answer something they don't want to answer because they know if they answer it this way, it pisses the player off. If they answer it that way, yeah, it makes the player happy, but it pisses the fan base off. It puts them in just such a bad spot. But this is not a good look for Brandon Staley. Let's uh, let's play it. That's has struggled all year and stayed back to when you got there. You still haven't made any kind of significant changes. Do you, when you keep saying the same things and doing the same things, I, guess why. I have full confidence, like I, I've told you, and like I've told you from the beginning, I have full confidence in our way of playing. Full confidence in myself as the play caller and the way that we teach and the way that we scheme. Full confidence in that. we got to bring this group together and do it consistently, okay? And that's where it's at. So you can stop asking that question, okay? I'm going to be calling the defenses, okay? So we're clear. So you don't have to ask that again. I'm not here to talk to, to the fan base. I'm here to talk to my players, the locker room. I know that we give ourselves a chance to win every single week with the game plans that we have, okay? And we have done it here. You guys act like we've never played good defense. That's not the truth. That's not the truth. You act like we haven't made any improvements. Today in the run game, we played outstanding. We're rushing the quarterback well. What we got to do a better job of is in the passing game. And that's where our full attention is, and it's where it will continue to be. There were a lot of other things that caused us to lose today. It certainly wasn't our defense. It was the way we played as a team. We didn't play well on, enough on the red zone on offense. We dropped too many passes. Okay? We gave up a few killer sacks. Okay? We did this as a team. Stop making it about one unit because that's not what happened out there today. Our team lost, and I am fully responsible for it, and I take full responsibility. But we lost as a team today, and that's the storyline. So there you go. <laughs> There's Brandon Staley. Um, I didn't like that exchange. And, again, I'm usually not the one to defend the media, but in that regard, it was just like, I don't know, man. Just seemed kind of weird. Seemed really, really weird. Um, let's see what else we got here in the chat. Um, Nick McSwain, yeah, you were talking about the reporter, right? Let's go to United Bates. United Bates pulled that information for us. We appreciate it, buddy. It's it's a quote, so I'm sure it came from an article. It said the Niners were awarded five compensation draft picks in the third round for developing Martin Mayhew, Robert Sala, and Mike McDaniel. Some people are going, Mike McDaniel? He's not minority. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, to the best of my knowledge, he's, I think he's half black, right? And uh, when I love I loved his press conference in Miami when he got that job. He stepped down there and they brung it up to him. They mentioned, what is this, you know, what does this mean to you being a minority coach, this and that? And he was like, I don't know. Essentially said, I'm half white too. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, he, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but the attitude he threw was kind of like, why are y'all making a big deal out of this? My respect level went way up for Mike McDaniel that day, for sure. Um, United Bates says they'll receive two more for Ran Carthon and another if D'Amico Rhines becomes a head coach this offseason. So, obviously, he did become a head coach, so um, probably a, a little bit older 
article there for sure. So uh, appreciate that, Bates, man. That's a that's a lot of draft compensation, man. Right, and that's the uh, that's the benefit of of making sure that you are uh, paying attention to that and and hiring minority coaches within your organization and and uh, doing it for the right reasons first and foremost, right? To, to let's let's kill that narrative. Let's kill that whole narrative that that's a thing, right? Let's let's just let's put that to bed and and make sure that everyone. You know, just be 110% sure that everyone's getting equal opportunity, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, Donovan Schilling in the chat says, Hey, Clayton, I'd like to give you a devil's advocate look at the D.C. thing. Someone with the Packer, with Packers ties, Al Harris, would get a lot more patience from the fan base than someone like Staley or one of – I'm sorry, man. I should have had the other one pulled up there. See if I could find it. Or – well, okay, there we go. Or one of these DB coaches and whatnot. As far as my stance on that, Donovan, you don't make hires based on the fans. That is just that is a recipe for disaster. And if you disagree, that's cool. We can, you know, we can agree to disagree. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying I'm right and you're wrong. But to think, all right, guys, we need to make a coaching hire here. Let's make sure the fan base is going to be patient with this guy. If you win, the fan base is going to be patient regardless. If you hire someone who's less qualified just to appease the fan base, within a year or two, they're going to hate that guy anyway if he struggles immensely, right? You know, we pointed out the defense got better from last year to this year. Many people don't understand that. Like, it was over a full point, I believe, if I remember correctly, per game. Um, you gave up less rushing yards this year than you did last year. You had more sacks this year than you did last year. You had more pressures than you did this year than you did last year, right? The team improved. But the narrative is already put there on Joe Barry that, hey, look, it's too late, too little, too late. We want you out of here. If you hired Al Harris, you're not going to be able to convince me that the fan base would go, but it's Al Harris. We need to be patient. If he comes out and has a worse year than Barry did last year, they're going to be calling for him to be fired too. So you can't I, – I personally don't think you can make a decision based off of that. That's what's so cool about the the Johnny is it Johnny Holland? Am I thinking right in San Francisco? The uh, the coaching hire that we said we really liked. Um, that was the thing about him. It's like I didn't even realize he was a Packer. Um, believe me, I got roasted for it. I, I can explain a thousand times I didn't become a Packer fan until two thousand three. People don't care. They were uh, just mind boggled that I didn't know that Johnny Rollin played for the Green Bay Packers. Sorry, man. I can't keep up with everything. <laughs> I'm the farthest thing from perfect. So anyway, you looked at his resume and it was like, yeah. And then you find out he was a former Packer. And it's like, whoa, this seems like a slam dunk. Now the problem is he's been battling an illness. It sounds like he's fighting a, a fancier, the big C word there. So, um, a, you know, uh, he's been fighting a, a, uh, a certain type of, I think I want to say blood cancer is what they said. Um, so probably not the best idea to take on more responsibility as a DC um, I wouldn't imagine now, you know, we don't know his health, obviously. If they go out and interview him, he takes the job, then, hey, it's, it's not an issue, obviously. But uh, that's something else that, ironically, uh, Brandon Staley dealt with, if I remember correctly. He beat cancer. So uh, that's pretty wild. It might be why he's so chippy, too. Like, look, boys, I've seen the other side here. I know what it's like to stare death in the in the face. I'm not going to put up with any BS from the media. <laughs> so, again, I just don't think it's a good look, though. Um from the press conference. So, yeah, I, we respectfully disagree there, Donovan, for sure, man. Um, not a big, not a big fan of that. So uh, let's see. Uh, I like what Drew says. Uh, Bobby Wagner would be great for teaching up Quay as well. It doesn't seem like the type of signing that would, would take, take place in green Bay, Drew. 
looking at a linebacker and saying you get one or two years out of him. But for that price and how he's played, I remember people being against it when he signed with the Rams. Going, oh, that's the stupidest signing. He is old. It's not going to work. And then he went out and graded out as like the second highest graded linebacker in the league. It's like, well, that would have been nice to have here in uh, in Green Bay. So he he dipped a little bit last year, but his his passer rating when targeted though was eighty one point zero, right? Um, that was twenty first best in the league amongst linebackers. In most nickel defenses, you got two linebackers roaming. So when you put that in a uh, perspective, you're looking at what you know pretty much a, a top 10 backer, if you will. So still playing at a high level. Now compare that to who he would be replacing. Let's let's just say he would be replacing Devondre Campbell in the starting lineup. Devondre Campbell's passer rating when targeted was like 155. It was dead last in the league amongst linebackers. So um, it would definitely be an improvement there. Um, that's And that's what's crazy. Like when you look at those statistics, you watch the tape, you don't find yourself going, man, this is bad. We're calling a bad defense. You find your players just getting burnt. It's like, you can't, what are you going to do about that? Right. Um, Jarrell Lee in the chat says, I want an aggressive defensive coordinator draft a Patrick McQueen, Greenlaw type of middle linebacker and draft Tyler Newman. We'll give it, give it to me. Preach, preach, brother Lee, preach. Um, I love Tyler Newman. He's my favorite safety prospect as it sits right now. We'll see how the whole process plays out, but it's, it's not even close either. Tyler Newman's my guy at safety. Um, yeah, Patrick Queen top. I agree, Greenlaw. We just don't have it at middle linebacker right now, and I and I hope, I hope Quay continues to develop. Right, but I kind of pointed it out last year how you know I, I don't think he's as good as the the tackle numbers are, are suggesting. Right, and people play Madden and they see his rating like, oh no, he's great. You kidding me? He's young too. He's got all the physical tools, but man, when you turn on the tape, it's 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 more often than not you he he seems lost playing playing both pass coverage and against the run. Sometimes he'll shoot the gap and you go, that's our guy, that's him. But, again, coming out of college, nobody's seen him as this this stud Mike backer, right? They've seen him as kind of the Sam type, can rush the quarterback, that type of thing. And maybe that's where you come into uh, someone from Baltimore with those multiple front looks and exotic blitzing and things like that, right? He would probably fit that a little more than he would fit something, say, like a, a Dallas where – you just uh, play a lot of man coverage and fire him up in the middle occasionally. So, um, Drew D said Staley gave the media everything they wanted in that clip. He sure did, buddy. He stepped right into the trap. There's no doubt about it, man. Nick McSwain should probably do uh, says should probably do exactly opposite of what fans want. LOL. I'm a fan. I love fans. You guys are fans. You know, we're all here because this is. We're probably going to change the name to Packer Fan Total Access because that's what I wanted this thing to be all along. Was this is a podcast ran by Packer fans, not a professional podcaster or an expert, just a, a place where Packer fans could come hang out and talk amongst each other, essentially. Um, but I'm with you, man. You start listening to the fans. Yeah, yeah, perfect quote. I can't remember who said it, Nick, but I remember hearing this too. He said, quote, if you start listening to fans soon enough, you'll become one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Steve in the chat says, Clayton, what do you think of Johnny Holland – uh, Niners linebacker coach, and did you get to see him play for Green Bay? I did. What's your thoughts of him being the new D.C.? I like Hewitt, Holland, and Babbage. Um, like I put on Twitter, I think it's pinned on Twitter, Steve. Um, you may not even be on there. He's my top candidate, Johnny Holland is. Love him. Absolutely love him. Um, again, the illness, though, is what we're kind of concerned about. There's been questions about his health and would he want to take on that extra pressure. But uh, and, and, you know, maybe Matt LaFleur doesn't even see him as a good candidate. Right. But I, to me, it just seemed like a slam dunk. He's been, I think, total along with playing. He spent 36 years in the NFL. 
and he's coaching linebackers, and our linebackers struggled in pass coverage and against the run last year. It's like, man, it really lines up. San Francisco had the third third best scoring defense. They had the fifth best pass defense, the seventeenth best rush defense. Um, you want to really, really lean into pass defense. I know some people like to stop the run, but when you look at the end of the end of the year, the best some of the best scoring defenses, they basically threw the run defense to the back and said, Hey, let's not worry about that. Let's just focus on stopping the pass. If you jump to a lead, stop the pass, then you can play from ahead and that run defense really doesn't matter as much. Now, if you're saying in a perfect world, Clayton, you can have a top ten run defense and a and the best pass defense, yes, of course. But if you have to choose between the two, I'm going with the better pass defense because that's kind of how the league is geared right now. Um, you said you like Hewitt, Holland, and Babich. Um, I would have no problem with either of those, to be honest with you, Steve. I think that's a good list, man. I really do. Um, Holland's first for me. Hewitt's second for me. Um, I think uh, next in that group would be Babich if I if I looked at those three. So I would go Holland, Hewitt, Babich as my top three amongst those that you just mentioned in that order, right? So, uh, all right, let's do this. Um, hey, appreciate that, buddy. Philly, uh, Philly boy, HR. I think that's what he's saying. W stream. I, th I think that's a compliment. If it is, thanks, man. We appreciate you. Um, let's do this. Let's play a couple clips from the other coaches. All right, just so you can get a, get a feel for their uh, personalities. We heard from Brandon Staley. Listen, it's a little unfair to just show a negative one and show positive for the other, but that's kind of the knock on Brandon Staley, right? You see it, you got to say it. That's the big knock on him is kind of how he – he didn't handle last year very well in most people's eyes. Could come to Green Bay, not have to do, you know, a quarter of the press conferences. Uh, he's no longer the CEO of a team, if you will, and that's pre pretty much what a head coach is. Um, and he could kind of fade into the back and maybe pick up where he left off in L.A. But let's go on to the next one. Let's do – see, next, let's, uh, let's look at Bobby Babich. All right, this is the linebacker coach for the Buffalo Bills, and this is from – I can't remember what this clip is from, but uh, – this is Bobby Babbage. He used to – when this clip was filmed, it was like six or seven years ago. And I did it on purpose because when I seen it, I had a clip from this year and a clip from here. I'm like, let's go back and kind of see what he – what kind of cloth he was cut from as he was coming up the ranks as DB coach. And then obviously he stepped into linebackers coach now. But here's uh, Bobby Babbage, the linebackers coach for the Buffalo Bills. And uh, just a little piece on him uh, obviously being interviewed uh, by the Green Bay Packers for their D.C. job. Here we go, safeties. I'm Bobby Babich, and I coach the safeties for the Buffalo Bills. Here we go, set, hit, boom. Good, 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 good. I played four years at North Dakota State. When I was done playing, I knew I wasn't good enough to play in the NFL, but I knew I wanted to coach. We're going to work shed here. Important. Inside hands win. When I was done playing, I went to Kent State University for one season as a graduate assistant. Got my feet wet there. Went to Eastern Illinois University. Got to get my first full-time coaching position for Coach Spoo there. From there, I went to the Carolina Panthers, Cleveland Browns, Florida International, and then here. Set, hit, shuffle, good, good, good. Boom. I grew up in football. My dad, Bob Babbage, who's a linebacker's coach, my whole life was a football coach, so I was always around the game. I knew from a young age I wanted to play, and eventually I wanted to coach. Here we go, linebackers right there, lined on job. Being able to coach with my dad is, is really a unique opportunity, and, and every day I cherish because I get the opportunity to work with him. He's a great coach. He's a great father. Being able to manage being a father and being a coach and being a husband is one of the hardest things that you got to deal with in this job, and he showed me how to be a great coach. He's a great teacher. Oh, good job. Pick it up. 
Good job! He's also shown me how to be a great father and husband. So as I continue to learn, he, he's a big part of my learning process still as we move forward. Nice job. Three, 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 three! three. My first stop in the NFL was in 2011 and that's where I got to meet Coach McDermott uh, with the Carolina Panthers. For him to take the time to help me and groom me and show me what it's supposed to look like and all the work that goes into it, I owe Coach McDermott you know, a tremendous amount when it comes to my career. Bobby and I shared a lot of late hours in the office together and, and you get to know one another when you're spending that amount of time together. And Bobby was a young, a little bit of a wet behind the ears coach like I was years ago and so I, I saw I think of some of myself and Bobby and so we have a good relationship off the field and, and I just love watching him grow and he puts so much time into his, his profession that um, the future is bright for Bobby. Alright so that was uh, Bobby Babich um, again linebacker coach you guys heard he was the DB coach when that video was filmed I thought it was cool to kind of dig a little deeper and say, okay, where, where did he come from? Um, obviously, his dad was a coach. He's been around football his entire life. He's a former player but didn't make it to the NFL. I love how he – there's no shame in his voice when he says that. I think the players will respect that. You know, there's an old saying, those who can't teach, right? And uh, you could tell he loves the game, and he immediately recognized, I want to coach. I want to be involved in the game and worked his way up the ranks. So pretty cool to hear uh, Scott McDermott talk about him too and kind of – you know, how he's grown into the person he is. I love what he said about family. I love what he said about how his dad taught him to be a husband, a father, all that stuff. Um, it's just, uh, that's what it's all about, man. He seems like he's uh, he's got a good base. Now, you play that video. It's a little unfair to compare it to Brandon Staley's video, but you can kind of see what it's like. Man, that was a breath of fresh air. <laughs> so, um, yeah, as far as the numbers, we talked about him yesterday, him, him being the linebackers coach in Buffalo. They ran the same percentage of man coverage as Green Bay did at 23%. Now, they do run a 4-3 defense there uh, under Scott McDermott. But keep in mind, they play a ton of nickel. We pointed that out yesterday. I'll just quickly glance on it here, and then we'll move on to the next candidate. Um, if I could find it, let's see. Bobby Babbage, bang. All right, so there's the Buffalo's defensive um, numbers from last year as far as tendencies and everything. Okay, so you see they were only in their base defense, which would be a 43 base 3% of the time, that was dead last in the league. So they just stayed in nickel 80% of the time. That was third most in the league. They were in dime 17% of the time. So they were more of the of the thought of let's get three safeties on the field. Now, you guys know they got Micah Hyde. They got Jordan Poyer. Um, they had a good safety group. They you know also would throw extra extra corners on the field when, when it made sense. But their EPA in base was second, even though they just did it 3% of the time. Their EPA in nickel was 10th and their dime plus was six. Now, to compare that real quick to Brandon Staley, like we talked about yesterday, look look at those numbers on the right, guys. Okay, let me drop this comment down real quick for you. Um, all right, look at the numbers on the right. Look at the EPA, 2, 10, 6, 14, 25, 10, 5, 2, 4, 23, 17, 4, 6, 5. A lot of those in the top 10, right? Now, let's hop back to Brandon Staley's defense with the uh, L.A. Chargers. 15, 28, 21, 28, 13, 30, 21, 18, 27, 16. What do you got? One, only one that you're in the top 10 in EPA, and that was middle field close coverage. So big difference there, right? Now, was Bobby Babbage wasn't calling the plays. We don't know that the defense, that'll trickle down to Bobby Babbage if he does become a D.C. But I, I like that resume a lot better than Brandon Staley's recent resume. And if you go back to when Brandon Staley was the D.C. for one year with the L.A. Rams, they were pretty much the best defense in the league 
for the most part. So you've got to be fair in that regard. Um, next candidate is Christian Parker out of Denver. All right. This is a guy that people are there. They keep referring to him as a, as an up and coming star. He's the DB coach in Denver. I believe this is the guy he's already interviewed if I heard correctly. And he spent a couple years in green Bay. You guys want to throw that in the chat for me. If you find that, I'm pretty sure he was in green Bay. So, uh, yeah, let's check him out real quick. This is just kind of after practice training camp, I'm pretty sure. Just a quick little interview, not a whole lot here. But you can just kind of see the different personalities, if you will, and how they may or may not connect with these this younger generation of players. Here we go. Christian Parker, DB coach from Denver. Around the building is much different. I mean, you can feel it out here in practice. Uh, what have you seen from Coach Bill? Yeah, I think he, you know, he's always trying to teach. You know, that's the main thing. Situational awareness is so important to him. He always says, you know, more games are lost than they're won. So he wants guys to always be educated and understanding of what situation we're in and how we expect them to perform. Um, he's very uh, direct with his communication and language about those things. So everybody's on the same page in terms of how they're receiving that information and, and how we expect them to execute it. What excites you about the, the rookies, Moss and Skinner that y'all drafted? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, number one on their college tape, those guys were very versatile. Um, they all had different skill sets and, and we can, you know, primary job, secondary job, and they fit how we want to play defense. Um, I think as we've started off, all those guys have been very focused. Um, the, the, the mental is really big with, with Coach Payton. So we want guys who can learn that we know we can teach and mold in, in the way that we want them to play. Obviously, they already have the talent. Both of those guys have really taken that approach. I mean, obviously, J.O. hasn't been out there, but meetings, walkthroughs, he's dialed in like it's game day. And that's exactly what you want to see from young guys and them kind of learning from the older vets and, and being able to find their way. Well, I think that, um, you know, sometimes as coaches we can, you know, you there's a certain way we can talk upstairs and a certain way that you talk to the players. So you don't want to give them too much information. We have to streamline it for them. And then when guys have been coached for a while, then they can kind of put it in even more like layman's terms to their teammates because it's a different perspective because they're actually out there on the field. So we have that perspective as we talk to them. But then sometimes like – the way K-Jack can talk about something to a guy might be the same message as me, but it might be another way of doing it. So however it hits their brain, whether it's, you know, in the meeting with me, a walkthrough with me, they come off the field. I tell, hey, you know, Justin, grab grab him and, you know, go over X, Y, Z. He knows what I'm talking about, and we can kind of put that direct message to him. This is your third head coach here. That's sort of rare. What, what's that been like for you? Um yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, you know, it's a blessing, to be honest with you, because, you know, I do enjoy here. I enjoy the room. I enjoy the guys that I coach and, and the organization as a whole. Um, been able to learn from a lot of different guys and a lot of different schemes and kind of putting those all together. So, um, yeah, it's definitely been interesting. But I think that, you know, now we're at a place of continuity and we just keep building and stacking, and, and it's a learning opportunity for me. Love it. I think he sounds so intelligent, man. And you can tell that he, he's been around the game for a very, very long time, even though he's so young. Um, just someone who kind of gets it, right? Uh, I would be totally cool with that hire. <laughs> I'm easily sold, aren't I? Uh, when I hear people that, that seem like they have high character, man, I get – I'm like, all right, that's the dude. Let's just go with him. Let's call it a wrap. But, uh, yeah, Donald in the in the chat says, a lot of Denver fans love this guy and want uh, Denver to promote him now so he can't be hired away. I've seen that too, Donald, when I was looking on YouTube just to kind of study a little bit on Christian Parker. There were several videos where it was the Denver's uh, – what was the title? I'm kind of paraphrasing was something along the lines of uh, Denver is uh, uh, on the verge of losing a great up-and-coming coach and stuff like that, and they were talking about Christian Parker. So um, completely agree there, man, and, and that's the whole cat-and-mouse game, right? That's the whole cat-and-mouse game. And speaking of cat-and-mouse game, uh, Stephen here says um, 
Here's my thought. I know LaFleur is interviewing guys, but I think he knows who he wants, and it's on one of the playoff teams. Just a logical thought. Um, that's kind of where I'm at too, Steve. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, let's say Christian Parker absolutely killed the interview, right? And then he starts getting interviews at other places. That's a real thing, right? Where where LaFleur's sitting there going, okay, we're about to lose this guy. Um, let's go ahead and pull the trigger. Like he's been the best interview. And that's one thing I, I think a lot of fans, and I know I did for a very long time, just didn't put a whole lot of stock in the interviewing process. But if there's one thing we've learned from Matt LaFleur being hired, he crushed it. And everybody was kind of stepping back going, man, Tennessee's offense sucked last year. He was the OC. Why are we going with this guy? He crushed the interview. And you could tell, well-organized, well-versed in the game, been around the game for a long time. Mark Murphy said this is our dude, right? Got to give Mark Murphy credit for that, man. Huge hire. Mark Murphy's done a phenomenal job at Titletown. But um, him being involved in the Matt LaFleur hire, Man, my, that might go down as one of his one of, if not his best moves as the uh, the uh, acting CEO or what have you, president of the Green Bay Packers. So, uh, yeah, let's see what else we got here. Let's get to our last one. We're running out of time, man. I'll tell you what, we're at the hour mark. This has been a blast talking ball with you guys. Um, let's go on to this is one of my favorites, too. This is Adding Dirty. All right, some people are going, Adding Dirty? What are you th-? That's his name, Adding Dirty. And uh, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. He's Dallas's defensive line coach, okay, um, for Dan Quinn. And this is from Hard Knocks. So if the stream goes down, I tried, guys. But it may get hit with a copyright. The goal wasn't to, uh, you know, show a Hard Knocks episode on here. <laughs> it was to get a little bit about adding dirty. And I want you to hear what uh, Jerry Jones says here about adding dirty. Really, really cool stuff. Um, let's check it out. That defensive line coach, I look at him, and uh, he looks like he's Arkansas. Okay, two minutes, third down, game's on the fucking line. I listen to him, he sounds like Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We'll beat them on the ground, we will beat them on the (laughs) ground. I started playing in London, like for a team called the London Olympians. Played there, and then got scouted to play in NFL Europe. Adam Durday, the Londoner, gets his first start alongside Ryan Myers and Howard Clark. Played in NFL Europe for, I think it was five years. Adam Durday, the Londoner, will be credited with the tackle. Played in NFL Europe and then got to be on a practice squad for two years in the NFL. So with the Chiefs and the Panthers and then after that. Good, don't fade away from me, Harry. I started coaching. It only sounds like Dirty's a long way from home. Truth is, he was born for football, and he's paid his dues, starting as an intern with the Cowboys, then moving on to a stint with the Falcons. Now the man from England is a key part of America's team. 7-H goes in. If I call Rush 7-H, what is Q thinking? Is it a run or a pass? Pass. Pass, we know that. You said that with an English accent. <laughs> you did with pass. <laughs> you follow Ted Lasso? No, but... I've heard um, some people say that, so yeah, I know who it is now. (laughs) If imitation is the sincerest form of flattery... Run, the chop can come near the end, but the first two steps, take off all gas. The number 93, Terrell Basham, is Dirty's biggest fan. I got a good Coach AD impression. Come on, we're going off the ball. We're going fast, we're going to let on quarterback. All gonna get your court back. 
not gonna be a stop us. We're gonna be a force to be reckoned with. Guys, you've got to start looking after your body. We can't practice like this if we, we're cramping. Guys, I gotta got take care of your body, okay? You gotta go get your massages, okay? <laughs> we, 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 we can't have us coming out here getting hurt or, or getting pulled. We gotta hydrate. We gotta go and get our massages. We gotta make sure we ain't getting in cold tubs. All this shit has gotta go down. Okay, DA, let's break us down. Get out. All right, that's enough. We'll probably get hit with a copyright strike, but it's worth it. Um, love that dude, man. You you see the person you see me laughing, like you see the personality, right? I can see players wanting to play for that guy, right? Um, I just think it also. And could you imagine Jacob's British accent all season long on Packers Total Access? Might, that might be your guy, right? That <laughs> might be him. As far as the numbers, uh, Dallas played man coverage thirty one percent of the time. Adding Dirty was their defensive line coach, okay? Now, we carved them up in the playoffs. That makes you kind of step back and go, okay, if we're running that scheme, that system, I don't know, right? Playing a lot of single high, a lot of man. Um, again, Matt LaFleur, is, it looks like he's looking at a lot of young coaches to bring in that he can kind of keep his thumb on the pulse. Like, hey, I want you to mold the defense this way rather than a Wink Martindale come in and go, I'm doing things my way, right? So maybe that'll change a bit, but – can't deny that pass rush was was really good in Dallas, right? There's no two ways about that. Now, when we look at the numbers for Dallas, they were in base only 3% of the time. That was 31st. So you're seeing two candidates here uh, with Bobby Babich in Buffalo and Adam Dirty in Dallas that they kind of threw base defense off to the side and played a lot of nickel, right? Or not a lot, not, not a lot of nickel, but they played very little base. Now, in Buffalo, they play a ton of nickel. In Dallas, they play a ton of dime, Okay. What's the difference? Nickel equals five, right? Five cents, five cent nickel equals five. That means five DBs. So you've got, you know, four down linemen, if you will, four four pass rushers, I should say, right? Like when it comes to Green Bay, we run a nickel two, four, five. Two D linemen, four outside linebackers, five DBs. When you go to Dom, it's now six DBs. That's why it's called Dom, okay? So uh, they ran a ton of Dom in uh in dallas they leaned on dime buffalo leaned on nickel and the other two matched personnel when it comes to base against um against your base personnel like when the team went 21 or 12 personnel then those other two those other two being brandon staley and christian parker would just kind of match personnel the majority of the time so i thought it was kind of neat that he chose two that like to play a lot of undersized formations and two that kind of played what they were already playing matching 34 base or 43 base to a, you know, uh, um, a uh, 21 or 12 personnel. So, and what I mean by 21 and 12 is, you know, the first number is the running backs, second number is the tight ends. That tells you who is on the field. Okay. So if it's 12, you got one running back, two tight ends, that'll trigger a base typically. Right. But with a defense like Dallas and a defense like Buffalo, they just got to say, no, 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 no. We're going to play what defensive formation we want to play. I will tell you this. If they go with someone like Bobby Babich, or adding dirty, you will not see Preston Smith in coverage, okay? And people will pretend like, Hart, see, Joe Barry was a moron. No, if you stick with Brandon Staley and you or you go with Christian Parker, you're going to see Preston Smith in coverage from time to time because we run a 34 base and we match personnel rather than just go to nickel or go to dime on a consistent basis, if that makes sense, so – um, that's what I was trying to point out all year long with the whole Preston Smith thing. They didn't go into the game on Sunday going, you know what? Let's put Preston Smith on Devontae Adams. You got yourself in a situation where you're playing your 34 jam base. They come out, 
manipulate it with an empty look or a spread look, motion him over, and now the outside linebacker, the wheel, if you will, he becomes the wheel, will now have to drop into coverage on that side. That goes with the territory. That's, you know, we pointed it out. That's the positive of a 34 base, but it's also a negative. In a 34 base, the quarterback has to read post-snap. He doesn't know who's coming on the blitz, right? And you're going to have one of those OLBs drop back into coverage and sometimes run a fire zone blitz where you'll have even sometimes a defensive lineman will drop into coverage, right? You're trying to confuse post-snap decision-making for the quarterback. So, anyway, I like that in Dirty, though. I thought that was cool. Um, Steve did confirm Parker was a defensive quality control coach for the Packers, and he has coached. I've seen someone else said he has coached on LaFleur staff before. Let's go into Dallas's numbers really, really quick. We just pointed out the, the EPAs, right? Or, I'm sorry, yeah, the EPA ranking. Um, for all the other guys. Again, adding dirty defensive line coach, 43 defense under Dan Quinn. We know that uh, there's a lot of history there between Matt LaFleur's uh, coaching staffs and Dan Quinn's coaching staffs over the years. Dan Quinn giving him a job in Atlanta the year they went to the Super Bowl. Matt LaFleur was the quarterback coach that year. So that's kind of the ties there. But, you know, Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn has evolved. Dan Quinn got his start as a defensive coordinator of the Legion of Boom in Seattle. He goes to Atlanta. They took that defense there. And then when he goes to uh, Dallas, he started switching up and playing more man coverage. I think that's really cool that Adam Dirty got to see a D.C. who has evolved because we talk about the league being cyclical. You've got to be willing to reinvent yourself. Right now, the Fangio, Fangio scheme is on its – it's really on the ropes right now because the league is caught up. It'll probably come back and in – five, ten years, seven years, however long, people will be looking up going, wow, look at this. What kind of defense is this playing quarters zone match coverage? And they'll pretend like it never existed. You guys will be old enough then, like I am, being the old fart I am right now, we'll be able to look back. Well, no, actually, that was popular back then. So, um, yeah, right now you got a multitude of defenses that are kind of taking over. But when it comes to Dallas, here's their EPA ranking. They were in base defense 3% of the time. Like we said, they play a lot of dime. Let's just focus on the EPA. We talked about Brandon Staley's EPA, how it was the worst of all of them, right? We talked about how Buffalo's EPA was pretty solid. Let's look at the EPA here for Dallas and, you know, hopefully what Adam Dirty would bring to the table. Fifth, third, 14th, sixth, 20th, seventh, sixth, 31st, fifth, sixth, first, ninth, second, and 11th. So you see there was only, what, one, two, three, four, out of about well over 10 categories, only four where he wasn't inside the top 10 in EPA. He being the entire group of Dallas, I'm not suggesting Adam Dirty will be able to carry this completely over, but obviously that's what LaFleur is seeing and possibly hiring him. So you see his EPAs look pretty good. Again, Christian Parker's not that good, right? When you look at Christian Parker from Denver, um, 25th, 27th, 20th, 22nd, 22nd, 2nd, 30th, 13th, 30th, 22nd, 12th, 15th, 23, 24. Again, there was only four on Adam Dirty's resume with that defense where they weren't inside the top 10 in EPA. Here with Christian Parker's defense, you've only got one that was inside the top 10. All right. Uh, again, Bobby Babich, we went through that and look at Brandon Staley. Ugh. So how I would rate these candidates as they as they sit right now, gang, probably go with uh I'd probably go with Bobby Babich over Ad and Dirty, me personally. But that's the thing, too. You're interviewing these guys. You could also hire them from different staffs. 
if you go with a young guy and you can still continue to put position coaches in place, think about this. What if what if you hired Adam Dirty, okay, as your defensive coordinator and you bring in Christian Parker as your passing game coordinator? That would not be a lateral move. DB coach slash passing game coordinator. To the best of my knowledge, that's a vertical move, not a lateral. That'd be cool to get a couple of these guys on the same staff, wouldn't it? Kind of neat. So, um, all right, let's let's finish in the chat here real quick. Just want to hit on, appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Mike Hebring says, Quay is a square peg in a round hole. Kind of feels that way, um, but that's what Green Bay's done in the past, right, Mike? You've, you've, you've drafted people like Demarius Randall and HaHa Clinton Dix and going, I don't care what you're comfortable doing. We're going to put you here and you're going to make it work. And then when it doesn't work out, we get mad as fans and call them busts, right? Uh, great coaches are – they understand they've got a pool of players. That's what Belichick did so well. And this is Hall of Famer Bill Parcells talking about is there's been no other coach. This is in Bill Parcells' words. There's been no other coach that's created this endless pool of players that he can pull from and say, all right, this is what your specific assignment is. You hear do your job. That's the Belichick way, right? Do your job simply means don't – people think it means no nonsense, cut the BS out, make sure your job gets done. That's not what he's saying. He's explained it a thousand times. Do your job simply means – don't worry about anything else. Focus on the two or three things that you need to do. Don't try to be perfect. Don't worry about what's going on over here on the field. Don't worry about that last play you messed up. On this specific call, this play, what's the two or three responsibilities you have? And just do your freaking job. Just focus on that. It's it's really a simplicity at its core. Um, that's what Belichick has done really well. Donald in the chat said Newbin or Kitchens and we're rolling. I'm I'm higher on Newbin than Kitchens, but I will tell you, people love Kitchens. They love that guy, man. Absolutely love him. So um I'd probably be okay with both too. So there you go. Here we go. Donovan Schilling in the chat says, I want Belichick. Um, I don't think Belichick, Belichick is realistic. Stephen Belichick would be his son, which by the way, people go, Oh, yeah, but it's just, he's he's probably just around for his name. He was the defensive play caller in New England the last couple of years. Go look at their defense. Hybrid fronts, multiple fronts, great at stopping the run. Um, I would If Stephen Belichick got the high, oh, my God, lose my mind. If you got Bill Belichick and he brought Stephen Belichick with him to be the play caller, whoo, let me tell you, I would be, I'd be over the moon, over the freaking moon. Uh, Donovan Schilling, what do you think the odds are that Belichick or Vrabel take a D.C. job? if they don't get head coaching jobs. I think it's pretty slim. I think it'll probably be like Mike McCarthy, to be honest with you, Donovan Schilling. Um, you know, when you look at what Vrabel's resume is, he won coach of the year. If he just takes a D.C. job, he'd probably be better served to take a year off and maybe just be like an assistant somewhere behind the scenes and then reemerge next year as a head coaching candidate. I imagine that's the route he would go, seeing that we haven't seen any interviews there. As DC, as far as Belichick, you know Belichick is closing in on Don Shula's all-time wins record, so can't get that as a DC, right? And I'm not suggesting that's the only reason he's coaching. It's not. I'm sure it's not. It's because he still loves the game. He absolutely loves the game. Um, I just can't see him as a DC. Similar situation. Now the clock's ticking for him. If uh, if he takes a year off, you know he's he's well into his 70s now. If he takes a year off, that's a year, you know, obviously out of the game. There's a chance he might not come back. What I would like to see, me being a big Bill Belichick fan, I would like to see Belichick um, step away and do broadcasting. 
I think it would be absolutely phenomenal. Seeing him on college game day this year, and and I know some people like to rag on him. They like to dog him, you know, Asante Samuel. It's amazing how one or two players talk crap about Bill, but every other one goes to bat for him all the time about how he was just – he's the GOAT, he's the best, including the guy that they say is the only reason that Belichick's had success is Tom Brady. Tom Brady comes out constantly talking about there's no way he would have he would have succeeded at the level he did without Bill. And immediately people point to Tampa. Tampa was loaded, guys. He he picked a top five offense to go play at. He being Tom Brady. Like let's not let's not kid ourselves into thinking that Tampa Bay was this horrible team and Tom Brady just went down there and magically fixed it. Still amazing what he did. But Tom Brady would be the first to tell you that Belichick was the reason he turned into the player that he turned into. Probably doesn't even get to the level he's at without all those years in Bel- with Belichick. Um, this false narrative people create about Bill Belichick had nothing to do with the offense. They're just too lazy to go do their research. You can find NFL films footage all over the place. And my- Michael Lombardi went at somebody the other day on Twitter. It was hilarious. He's like, were you in the building? I was in the building. Were you in the building? Again, you got to be in the building, Mike. You can just go watch NFL films and see him and Tom Brady game planning, putting the offensive game plan together. It's like <laughs> – it's wild. People just create these these false uh, these false stories. But uh, yeah, I don't. I think they both would take the year off. Donovan, to answer your uh, to answer your question, let's see here. Chuck Goodman in the chat said a no, a big no to Bella cheat. I love these. These crack me up. Belichick's cheater. He's a cheater. Um, how did he cheat? He filmed practices. It's been confirmed, proven all across the league, including the Green Bay Packers were accused of it by Chicago for doing something similar. Teams are constantly trying to get an edge. They made an example out of Bill and the Patriots because they were at the top. It's the way it works. All right. Um, the other thing, deflate gate. I love how multiple players came out, multiple Hall of Fame players came out as soon as that happens. Like, uh, I didn't even know it was really a rule. You know, we we deflate our balls all the time. Aaron Rodgers, you know what he said? Yeah, I, you know, you get a threshold. We go over the threshold all the time. Aaron Rodgers said this, and nobody punished him. <laughs> he said, we like to over-inflate the balls because I've got big hands and I like to – I can get a tighter spiral with an over-inflated ball. I'm breaking the rules doing that. So, that whole the whole Bella cheat thing, it's just, a, it's just a lazy conversation, to be honest with you, right? That's the way I see it. But, uh, yeah, that's it. We're going to get out of here. Hour and 16 minutes going solo. That's wild. But uh, thank you guys so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Um, I had got the link out late, so uh, no one knew I was doing a show this morning until this morning when I got up and and created the link. But really, really appreciate y'all dropping in. If y'all would, hit that like button on your way out. Um, That way we can help other Packer fans find this content, find this channel. We appreciate y'all, like I said, spending your – what is it, Saturday morning? Yeah, spending y'all Saturday morning with us. We really appreciate it. So – We will see you guys tonight for PTA Live. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go Pack Go.